Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is brought to our church by Micah Bosworth, who pastors Ridgepoint Baptist Church in Wenatchee, Washington. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Let's go to Luke, or not Luke, sorry, we were there last week. Let me look at the handout for this week. Second Timothy, all right, Second Timothy and chapter number three is where we're going to start just to kind of lay the foundation of what we're going over tonight. Second Timothy, chapter number three. Probably be good if I'm in the same place in my Bible as you all are, right? <laughs> so, Second Timothy, chapter number three. So last week, just to kind of catch us all up on the same page, uh, for those of you who maybe weren't here for last week's, I'll kind of give an overview of what it was, but last week we really unpacked the, the overview uh, of the Bible uh, and, and looked at it in this sense that it is completely a story. It, uh, a lot of people use the Bible for a lot of different things, and we looked at last week, if you weren't here or maybe uh, you're online uh, and you want to know what we talked about last week, uh, you can find it online somewhere on the YouTube page, but uh, really just unpacked. Uh, the fact that the Bible is profitable in a lot of ways, like helping us to live morally and all of those things, but that's not primarily and most essentially what the Bible is about. Uh, The Bible is most essentially a story, and as with all good stories, uh, there is some kind of narrative tension, okay? And we looked at last week that the tension of the Bible because of the fall of man and sin entering into the world, the tension, the grand tension of the story of the Bible is whether God can truly be fully just and holy and wrathful and and pour out his anger upon sin, but at the same time, fully loving and forgiving and merciful and gracious to us because of our sin, or Uh, despite our sin, okay, not because of our sin, but despite it, uh, can he be both of those? And we saw that that's really what the seemingly seeming conflict in Scripture is, but it's really just a tension that is resolved in Jesus Christ. And in God's story, the story of the Bible, the resolve of all of that tension is uh, in Jesus. And because of that, uh, we need to learn to see Jesus on every page of Scripture, as we're reading through to see, uh, and we'll even unpack that a little bit more today uh, in a practical level, but uh, it is not, the Bible is not primarily about you or what you should be doing. Now, there's a whole lot in here that will help you and teach you and grow you, uh, but, and that's all there, but you've got to look for Jesus all throughout the Bible. Uh, because, let me ask it this way, uh, can you save yourself apart from Jesus? No, you can't. Uh, Can you live the Christian life without Jesus? No, you can't. Okay, so everything good about you, uh, everything that happens in you, all comes back to Jesus. Uh, when, When you're reading the moral aspects of Scripture, when you're reading the lifestyle instructional aspects of Scripture, the things that tell us how to live, uh, we... We cannot read it like, uh, this is what I've got to be busy doing. Uh, We need to read it in this way. This is what Jesus will help me do. This is what Jesus will do in me. And this is what will come out of me as the story of Jesus unfolds in my life. Uh, And so uh, 
uh, just to kind of uh, really to bring it together in, in how we looked at it last week, how we fit into the story. Do you, do you remember those? Uh, it was when I was really young, so I don't know how, uh, how far back these kinds of books went, but uh, there were these books where you got to pick your own story. Uh, you choose your own adventure. That's what it was called. Yeah. And, uh, and so you're reading uh, page one, and at the end of page one, it says, uh, to go into a cave, go to page 56. And to go uh, over a waterfall, go into page 71. And you got to just look through this entire book that was about this big and pick which was the next step in your adventure. And you got to be a part of the story in that way. Uh, there were also these books that were called me books. And uh, where, where you would get to put someone into a story that's already written. It was for children. Uh, it would be like a bedtime story that's already written out. And you give them your child's name and they put the name into the story. And kids love that. Why? Because it's me in the story, right? Uh, they get to read about how the story plays out with them in the story. Uh, I'm in the story. That's why I like it. And, and listen, when you trusted Christ, you entered into the story. When you trusted Christ, you entered in the story, and everything that God does in your life becomes a part of the ongoing story of the New Testament the, and the New Testament church. When you get to the part of Revelation that talks about the throngs of people that are praising, worthy is the Lamb who is slain, and all of those saints are gathered to sing that song, you are in that story. Uh, when, I, when I read that, I, I don't know if John saw me as he saw this vision, but I know I was there because I, I'm saved and I know one day I'm, I'm in that story. Uh, and, and that just, when you read the Bible that way, man, it just comes alive and makes it more personal. And, and the fact that the gospel then lives out of you and flows out of you is such an amazing thing. And so let's, let's dive into 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read verses 4 through verse 5 of the next chapter. And I really want this to be just kind of a foundation of where we're going. So last week, big overview. And we're going to kind of start breaking it down more and more this week and, uh, and go from there. So the Bible says this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. Paul writing to Timothy says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. The word continue thou is, is like a perpetual. Don't leave these, okay? He says, Because that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. I charge thee, therefore, because of all of this of, about Scripture, I charge you, Timothy, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. This is what I charge you to do. Preach the word. Okay, proclaim the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they, uh, the world, will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall, heap to, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Man, there's, there's so much in that passage that I would love to just preach that passage tonight. 
But what I really want to do with that, I want to use that passage as a foundation to uh, say this. As we break down the entire Bible into parts, into portions tonight, uh, every bit of it, uh, God is saying this from this passage. This is what God is saying about what we're going to see in Scripture. He's saying this. This is for you. That's what it's saying here is that I have get, God has given this to us, and he wants to shape you with this book. Uh, he, he's saying, I want to use every bit of Scripture. All Scripture is profitable. I want to use every bit of this story to change you, to correct you, to reprove you, to transform your life. That's what uh, I, I want to do is what God is saying from the word of God. So uh, what we're looking at tonight, it may not be new information to some, if not most of us in here. What we're going to look at isn't going to be super uh, like, whoa, never heard that before. Uh, and especially if you've been reading in the Bible for a long time. But uh, there are some in here I feel, I feel like this might be new information to uh, because, uh, and because last week we gave kind of a complete full sentence of what the Bible is primarily when we said it's a story about a Savior, it's a story about Jesus, and, and truly that's somewhat of an oversimplification, right? We know that, we know that's true, um, but uh, it, would, it would almost be like, it's, it's been said this way, it would almost be like for me, how many of you have seen any of the Lord of the Rings movies or, or read the books? Just know there are six full movies about this type of world uh, called the Hobbit trilogy, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It's a crazy story, okay? I could summarize all six movies and books and everything that has been written by J.R. Tolkien of this in this statement. They're about an evil ring and how a hobbit will one day destroy it. Okay? I could say that. Is that true? Yeah. It's a little bit of an oversimplification. There are so many nuances to the story that make it so much better than just that there's an evil ring that a hobbit's going to destroy. Okay? Uh, and, and so it is with the Bible in this way. It is all about Jesus. Okay? Uh, that is primarily what it is, a story about a Savior, but there is so much nuance to this story, uh, and the way the Bible tells the story is so intricate. And so I want to look at the, uh, this is where we're going to go now. If you have your Bible, go to the table of contents. This is where we're going to be the rest of tonight, okay, with our handout and our table of contents. All the way at the beginning of your uh, Bible, there should be a little thing. Some of you might have a letter to the translators to the reader. You might have a letter like that. But right before Genesis chapter 1, you'll have a thing that might say uh, table of contents. It might say the names and order of all the books of the Old and New Testament with the number and their chapters. It might be something like that. Uh, but that, that's where we're going to be tonight, okay? The table of contents. And uh, if you're, I hope this will help us a little bit to see it's basically just the list of the books of the Bible is what we're... And if you don't have it, just look at your handout. That's okay, because uh, the handout's going to have it for you uh, as we go through. But uh, I believe what we're going to cover tonight is helpful information to all of us. And so uh, I want us to unpack this. Uh, last week we said, what is the Bible most essentially? It is a story. But how is it organized? How is the Bible organized? Because it's not chronological. I don't know if you've tried to read through this Bible and make sense of it chronologically, uh, but the events of uh, Genesis don't actually happen uh, all before other books of the Bible because Job is the oldest book of the Bible. 
And so Job comes actually before Abraham's life. And if you, if you want to read it chronologically, you can buy chronological Bibles. You can go on an app and find a chronological Bible reading plan to try to make sense of it. And that way, if you do that, you're going to be reading 1 Kings, then 2 Chronicles, then 1 Kings, then 1 Chronicles. And you're just going to be jumping all, all around because in, in order, uh, all that to say this, the Bible is not given to us in chronological order of the story, okay? But I do believe it's given to us in specific portions on purpose, and I want us to see that tonight. So first of all, first of all, okay, the Bible is divided into two testaments. How many of you knew that? All right, great. I'm glad we're on the same page. The Bible uh, is divided into two testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Number one there on the handout is this. Both testaments reveal one God. Both testaments reveal one God. Uh, some people, especially in the world, uh, they might say, well, I really like the God of the New Testament. I like that Jesus guy. Like, he's so nice, and he, he doesn't condemn people, and I love that. But the God of the Old Testament, I, I don't know how you worship that God. And they see it as two different gods, uh, but, but there, is, there is no conflict between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. They both reveal the same God. Uh, there's no conflict between God's qualities or character traits. And, and it seems, at, at, if you don't know the full picture, and like we talked about last week, the grand tension between his holiness and his love, uh, that it seems the God of the Old Testament is just a wrathful, angry, vengeful person. And, and the God of the New Testament is all about redemption. Uh, but uh, his character traits uh, are not bound by our human emotion. Okay, many times when we look at things like God's wrath and anger, it's not emotions that we're explaining. Uh, they are his character. Okay, they're not, it, it's not that he's just a, an emotional God and can't control his wrath and anger. Those are part of his character in this way. A parent, uh, I, I, me as a parent to my daughter Felicity or Ellery, uh, I might have an outburst of anger at something that one of my children did, right? I'm, I'm an emotional person. We all have emotions. Uh, I might have an outburst of anger at one of them for something that they did. But that is different than me attacking something in an angry way to protect my daughter, okay? I may be angry at someone and, and react to you in an angry way about what you were about to do to my daughter because she was doing something dumb. She probably was, okay. Uh, but, uh, but it's different. Uh, my anger is different in the moment of me protecting my daughter and having angry, anger to do that uh, than for me to actually have an outburst of anger at her. Uh, they're both emotions, but one is more so the character of my heart. Uh, of what I'm, I'm trying to protect her. And God's, God's anger and his wrath over sin is actually because of his love for us. Uh, his anger, really, I would say it this way, you cannot separate his anger from his perfect love. His anger is because of his perfect love. Uh, he said, he, he he has anger over sin because he loves you so much, he wants to protect you from that. 
Does that make sense? It's in his character. So there's no conflict between his wrath and and vengeance and and anger upon sin and his love to redeem us and give us mercy and all that. There's no conflict between it. Uh, God says, I might transfer the guilt, transfer the penalty, and he does so upon Jesus, but in no way uh, he he cannot just overlook uh, or wink at sin. Uh, But if we have accepted Jesus Christ, we need to know this. It is not possible for us to live in a way that receives God's wrath as a believer. Uh, uh, Can I live in a way that dishonors him and displeases him? Sure. And it may, because of the natural consequences uh, of my decisions, cause me pain. But we, we cannot live as a believer in a way that receives the wrath of God because his wrath was poured out on our sin on Jesus on the cross. Uh, so we need to know there's there, both testaments, uh, even though some people might think it's a different God, reveal one God. And truly it is this, the central theme of both testaments is salvation, a God of salvation. Uh, and, and so we know from last week and from knowing Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior that uh, that salvation is found in Jesus. And that's the central theme of the Bible, is salvation in Jesus. And the Old Testament, number two on your handout is this, the Old Testament predicts Jesus. The Old Testament predicts Jesus, okay? Uh, if, I were to, if I were to drop into Jeremiah and just read Jeremiah, uh, I don't know how many of you have read the book of Jeremiah Lamentations, uh, but if you just drop into that book, it might scare you, okay? If you just drop right into that book or Ezekiel or something, you might be like, what is going on, okay? Uh, uh, or if I just lo- drop into Leviticus and just start reading Leviticus, that's gonna seem a little overbearing, okay? Uh, and, and I hope what we're gonna talk about tonight will help us to appreciate those books, but uh, if we just drop into it, uh, it could seem overbearing. But the Old Testament predicts Jesus in this way. It un- unpacks that man has fallen, Sin has entered into the world. Creation has fallen out of fellowship with God, and creation must be redeemed. Mankind must be redeemed. Sin must be dealt with. It must be punished. It must be locked away forever in a place called hell. Uh, How is God going to do that is really what the Old Testament is predicting. How is God going to do that? The Old Testament really tells us this about God. In predicting Jesus, uh, the Old Testament tells us this that God is a covenant God, and he wants a relationship with you. The Old Testament is God pursuing man. Uh, He starts with one man, Abraham, and makes him a family. And then that family becomes a nation, and that nation ends up in bondage, uh, which is a picture of us all in bondage to sin. And God says, I'm going to lead you to a promised land. And, and he gives them ceremonial laws and civil laws and laws about how to worship. And he gives them ways, all, everything in the book of Leviticus, all those laws are ways to relate to him. Uh, he wants a relationship with his people. And, and all of them are ways to relate to him. All of, them, all of those ways to relate to him are basically saying this, you are broken, I am God. Uh, you, uh, you are sinful and I am good. Uh, I'm pursuing a relationship with you. Uh, here's, here's how we'll function this relationship. Uh, here's how we'll have this relationship. And it will all revolve around substitutionary sacrifice. Okay, that's, that's what we learn in the Old Testament. 
the, it's going to involve substitutionary sacrifice. There's got to be something, God says, between me and your sin. Uh, and so that I can relate with you without crushing you because of your sin. Uh, so so when, when you get to Exodus and you read about the tabernacle and the sacrificial system, and you get into Leviticus and you uh, read about the priests going before God and presenting the blood, it all points to this, God organizing a people around himself, a theocracy, and, and he's showing us through metaphors and object lessons like a tabernacle and a lamb and an altar, and a priest. He's showing us through all of those pictures of Jesus, pictures of substitutionary atonement, and pictures of how death will cover and atone for sins. So when we read those, it's predicting how God is going to fully resolve the tension and pour his wrath out on our sin, but also redeem us. And so the, uh, the whole Old Testament is saying there has to be something between me and your sin. It was all predicting Jesus in that way. In all of its parts, the Old Testament diagnoses the sin problem. It clearly tells us the rebellion problem that is intrinsic to man and the wrath of God that has to fall on that and our desperate need for salvation. It unpacks all of that. And, and if, you, if you were to do a word study, and the reason I say the central theme is salvation— through Jesus, if you were to do a word study on the word salvation, you will soon see that it truly is the entire theme of the Bible. In every book of the Bible, God says, I'm the Savior. I am salvation. You're not, and you need salvation. I am salvation, and I'm coming to you. And in, in lots of ways, uh, through the Old Testament and the New Testament, God says this. I am the Savior, and I will save you. And the Old Testament predicts how that's going to take place by showing us pictures and, and, uh, and types of Jesus. Uh, I think of in Isaiah chapter 61, on Old Testament scripture that uh, it talks about God wrapping us up in his own righteousness and clothing us in his righteousness. Uh, many times when we think about that thought, we think of the... Uh, the verse in 1 Corinthians, I believe it is, where it says, he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. But even in Isaiah, Isaiah was saying, look, God is going to wrap you in his own goodness and his own righteousness, uh, not your righteous living, but his goodness. Uh, it, it, it's uh, A lot of people, they look at the Old Testament, the New Testament. Uh, this is an, uh, how some people would simplify it. And really, it's wrong, but this is how they would say it, that they would say the Old Testament is a testament or a covenant. That's another word for testament. Covenant of works, and the New Testament is a covenant for grace. That's how it would be said. But the reality, truly, if you look at the whole Bible, is that both are a covenant of works on both sides, but it is work that only God can do. So for us, so it's a, test, it's a covenant of works, but only work that God can do. So because of that, how we relate to it is both our covenants of grace, okay? Uh, Lamentations, I think of Lamentations, that, that book begins viciously, okay? If you read that. But then, if you read through Lamentations, it all turns on one verse. And it's one of the verses we all love to quote and, and sing, where it says, Your mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Okay, it, the book of Lamentations starts pretty viciously, uh, but, but then it turns on that verse to point toward Jesus, uh, the picture of God through, or the picture of Jesus and God's uh, faithfulness to give us his mercies. 
And so as we look through the Old Testament, uh, we will find, especially if you read it and look at it this way, it predicts Jesus, okay? The New Testament, the second thing is this, the New Testament reveals Jesus, all right? So the Old Testament all points to uh, and predicts that Jesus is coming, and then the New Testament reveals Jesus. Uh, The New Testament reveals who Jesus was and the fact that he was the salvation that they had been waiting for. And Luke, I believe, outlines this best, in my opinion, through his gospel and through the book of Acts. And so I I don't want to take too much time on this point, but I have the verses there if you want to go back and read them. That Luke, he starts in the beginning of his book, Luke chapter 2, there's the beautiful Christmas story we all love reading. But toward the end of it, uh, Jesus, as a, as a, uh, a baby, is taken into the temple uh, to be circumcised, to go through the ritual that all of them would have had to. And Simeon is there, and he says these words. He says, mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And so right at the beginning, Luke says, everything that we've been looking for in the Old Testament, salvation, is this child right here. Jesus. And then later, Jesus says in Luke chapter 19 that this day is salvation come to this house. For so much as he also is the son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And then in the book of Acts and chapter number four, uh, it's preached and said this way from Peter Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him, Doth this man stand before you hold? This is the stone which was set at not of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is one, uh, none other name among, uh, under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Okay, so I, I think Luke outlines it so beautifully as he goes through to show the Old Testament predicted that a, a Savior would come. Right at the beginning of his book, he says, this is the Savior. This is salvation. And, and the New Testament, in many ways than just that, reveals Jesus to us. And so the Bible, it's divided into two testaments, but they're both revealing to us the same God of salvation, just in different ways. The Old Testament points to, pictures, and predicts salvation in Jesus, and the New Testament reveals him as the one by whom salvation would come. Uh, but, but then, not just is the Bible divided in two testaments, but I want us to see that the Bible is even broken down into smaller sections. And I want, that's what I want to go through uh, the rest of tonight is uh, just some sections. Now, I've, I've divided it into seven big parts, okay? Seven parts. Some have divided it into five. Some have done up to 13. And really, as I break down some of the seven that I have, Uh, You might see how other people have come up with more divisions to do so, but this is the best way I can simplify it to help us see each section of the Bible and how it predicts, points to Jesus, and how we should approach it, okay? And so the first one is this. The first big part uh, of, uh, of the Bible is this history, okay? Number one under the Bible's big parts is history, history, Genesis through Esther. I would categorized as history. Now, some break it down even more to say that Genesis through Deuteronomy, the first five books would be called the law or the Pentateuch uh, or the books of Moses. Sometimes in the New Testament, it's just called Moses. They say Moses and the prophets, and Moses just means the first five books of the Bible. Uh, but, but Genesis through Esther really are all 
uh, history, uh, 17 books of a narrative of historical accounts. It unpacks the history of man, the history of the world, and then very personally, it gets to the nation of Israel. Uh, So if you drop into the book of Ruth or Judges or the Kings, you're dropping into the history of Israel. Okay, when you read that, you got to know you're dropping into history. Uh, and, and I hope when we get to the end, we'll see why it's important to know what part of the Bible we're in and how it should be uh, interpreted and, and taken and, and seen. Uh, but if you drop into those books, you're dropping into the history of Israel. If you drop into Genesis, you're in the history of creation, where we came from. You're the history of the fall of man, uh, the fall of humanity. Uh, and, and really, this entire portion from, from Genesis to Esther, it starts with creation, gets to the fall, and then to the flood, and then it quickly becomes personal, gets to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then most of the book of Genesis is Joseph. And it introduces God, it introduces man's accountability to God, and a lot of that. The history of creation, man, sin, and gets personal to the nation of Israel. It's been said this way, uh, but this is just a quote, kind of a lengthy quote, but just summarizes all of this for us. What takes place from Genesis to Esther, okay? This is what this man said. The Pentateuch, so those first five books, tell the stories, the story of beginnings, the creation of the universe, the fall of humanity into sin and corruption, the development of humanity. We learn about the character of God, the personal God who used a particular family to show how he would work through a covenant relationship. The 12 books of history that follow the law continue the story of God with humanity. This is not history in the modern sense of facts and statistics. This is a true drama filled with tenderness and violence, success and failure, faithfulness and unfaithfulness. Hundreds of thousands of descendants of Abraham enter into a land of promise. They struggle to live under God's authority because the the lure of sin is always so strong. And so they install a king. Okay, now that's getting into the book of uh, 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings and going into that. They, They install a king, an earthly government like all the other nations. But after only three generations, that kingdom becomes divided. And the following 200 years are filled with disappointments, broken up with occasional revivals. That's those occasional kings that say they did right in the sight of God. Uh, If you look at Israel, none of them were good, okay? Uh, Judah had a few kings that had occasional revivals of the land, but for the most part, those 200 years are filled with disappointments. Uh, And eventually, the superpowers from the regions of the northeast, Assyria and Babylon, sweep down onto this divided kingdom. They destroy them. They exile them. And after five decades of being exiled out of their land, Small numbers of Hebrews are allowed to return to rebuild their community and their nation. Does that sound familiar? You guys are going through Nehemiah. uh, That uh, small amounts of people are allowed then to come back into their land and start to rebuild. So Genesis to Esther, that's all that it unpacks right there from the history of man and gets personal to the history of Israel. And as you go through it, that they made kings and, and they ended up being divided and then they ended up being overtaken. And, and by the end of Chronicles, when you're at the end of uh, Second Chronicles, they're in captivity. 
Okay, they're in captivity. And then Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther uh, are, are all portions after that in their history that they're, they're starting to come back and, and form a nation again, okay? And so that's, that's the history, okay? That's, that's the first part. So when you're reading anywhere in Genesis through Esther, you gotta know it's, it's a historical story, okay? It's a historical narrative of man and of this nation of Israel going through, okay? The second portion of scripture, I've, I've titled it this way, wisdom and poetry, okay? So number two there from Job through Song of Solomon would be wisdom and poetry, wisdom and poetry. Uh, There are five books in this portion of scripture and really this entire portion of wisdom and of poetry shows God's heart reacting with a human heart with unvarnished transparency, okay? With, uh, we have these books of poetry and wisdom and the authors of these books of Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon, they, they uh, let loose praise and anguish and affirmation and longing, okay? They just let loose these emotions. They're raw with God uh, in, in these ways, we learn much in these stories or in these portions of the Bible uh, about what is in the human heart and about what is in the heart of God. Uh, you learn that God already knows your heart and that you can express your whole heart to God just as you are. Uh, Job, he's, he's raw with God. Ecclesiastes is raw. Solomon looking back on his life and saying, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Okay, like he's just being raw in in, in that moment, just uh, open. Some of the Psalms are like, how long will you forsake me, God? Right? It's just a portion of scripture that shows us that we can can just be real with God in our hearts. And he has a heart to be in that relationship with us that we can be real before him. That's what we see in these books of wisdom and poetry is we see that we can be real in our hearts to God and he wants to relate to us in that way. And just as when we're uh, in, in school, even this helps us uh, in this portion that just as we're in school learning about, uh, it's been a while since some of us have been to school, but if you remember, uh, there were portions of poetry that you would read and uh, it would be from someone in that they wrote that poem uh, around a specific time in history or an event in history, and it helped us to understand what people were thinking when that took place in history. Just as we see that in historical events, we can, with some of the Psalms, even see what people were feeling and thinking and praying in specific times of the Bible narrative. Uh, I think of Psalm chapter 3, and we see David saying uh, what he felt and praying to God, what he was praying when he was fleeing from his own son Absalom, who was trying to kill him. Uh, and so sometimes the Psalms help us to even understand that raw emotion uh, that people were feeling in some of the stories of Genesis through Esther. But it's like God took the narrative as we get the Bible. Uh, it's like he took the narrative of those stories and said, now let's get personal and shows us that he knows our heart and wants us to know his heart. That's really what we see in those uh, in this portion of scripture, in the wisdom and poetry books. And then next we have this, the prophets, the prophets. The next portion of scripture is the prophets. This is Isaiah 
through Malachi, 17 books written by the prophets. Uh, now, some would break this up even into two parts. That how many of you have heard of the major prophets and the minor prophets? Okay, some people break it up that way. Uh, that Isaiah through Daniel would be the major prophets, and Hosea and Malachi would be the minor prophets. Uh, really, probably for two reasons. One that I always grew up uh, hearing was that the major prophet books are longer. Okay, and for sure that would probably be one of the reasons. Uh, but also, I think in this way, the major prophets are more comprehensive. Uh, they're more sweeping in their arc of prophecy and what they're dealing with. Uh, they're, they're more broad, okay? Whereas the minor prophets are very specific, okay? They, they're very specific. They're, they're, sent, they're sent to a specific place, the minor prophets are. They're sent to a specific place at a specific moment to deliver a specific message. I think of Jonah, right? He's sent to a specific place at a specific time with a specific message, okay? So the minor prophets would uh, tell us in that. And these, these include all the prophets. They include prophetic writings. They do include some history and some poets. And if you read a, a poetry, if you read through a chronological Bible, uh, you're going to see as you get to some of the kings, you're going to end up around Hezekiah's time and things like that. You're going to see some of the books like uh, Micah and those all of a sudden jammed up next to him. It's because they are prophesying at the same time as those kings. And so uh, if you read it chronologically, they overlap, and that's where some of the prophets give us uh, uh, insight into what's taking place in the historical books. Uh, but, but really, the prophetic books, uh, in big picture, this is, this is the message of all the prophets prophetic books of the prophets, okay? This is the big picture message. Kings and governments are not the answer to human chaos, okay? And God uses the prophets to confront, to confront and instruct and guide people back to him and, and sometimes reprove them for wandering from him and to pronounce his judgments on their wanderings, on their sin. And I believe also one point of the prophets is, uh, I believe, and and, and just looking through scripture and, and finding these, I believe that the prophets are also there to prove the, the veracity, the, the validity, and the supernaturality of the Bible uh, in this way. Because when you look at the prophecies of the prophets, some of them are still coming true today. Okay, uh, Ezekiel, I think of Ezekiel prophesying that Russia would come out of the north with many nations and become a dominant presence in the Middle East. That's already happened, okay? We saw that not too long ago. And, and seeing these things, okay, when we see these things unfold from the prophets, it shouldn't scare us or make us uh, out to be conspiracy theorists on, well, now God's coming and this is gonna happen next. And, you know, it shouldn't drive us to that. Uh, it, it should, really, this is what it should do. It should engage us in gospel ministry. Uh, it, it should assure us also that what we have is the truth. When we see something from the prophets come true, be like, just another solidification in my heart that I have the truth in God's word. That's what it should do. And that God is still in control. It should strengthen us when we see that. And I do want to say, kind of a side note, since this is all of this, the reason we're going over this is growing as a Christian, okay? Right? How do we grow? The Bible. 
Okay? God's word is our spiritual fuel, our spiritual food. Uh, Peter says, uh, desire it so you can grow thereby. Psalm 1 says, uh, those who delight in his word are going to be like a tree planted by the river of water, bringing fruit in their season. What is that? That's growing. Okay? Uh, so the word of God, we need to understand this. Why? Because this is how we grow. Okay? So uh, I want to say this because sometimes, especially when you get to the prophets, Lots of portions in the Old Testament, but especially the prophets. Most people, when they read through the Bibles, and let's just be transparent, I'll be totally real with you guys this, uh, this evening, that some of us, it's easier to be more in tune with and engaged with the story parts, right? With the narrative parts. It's a little harder to dive into some of the books like the prophets. And, and I want to say this, if that's you, and I've been there, don't feel any shame at all, okay? This is a supernatural book. We looked at it last week. Uh, maybe that I'd said this at Ridgepoint and I didn't say it here, but uh, I'll say it here if I said it there and didn't say it here. Uh, why, why is the Bible hard to understand? Because God wrote it, okay? It's an oversimplification, but God wrote this book. That's why it's hard to understand. Why is it important for us to understand this book? Because God wrote it, okay? So, so don't feel any shame that we don't understand parts of it. Some of it we're not meant to, okay? But don't feel any shame in that. Uh, so I want to say this. It would be better for you, instead of just trudging through a, prophet, a prophetical book and, and losing hope and getting out of the word of God, it would be better for you to go to a part of the Bible that you can easily engage with until you're at a place emotionally and intellectually that you're able to dive into a book that you don't understand, and some people, they read a portion of Psalms or a portion of Proverbs along with the other hard parts of Scripture, uh, which is a great approach because you're getting something personal and heartfelt every day along with some of the stuff that I might not understand. Uh, but but don't, don't feel any shame when you come uh, to, to say, you know what, I don't understand this, but I know I need to be in God's Word, so I'm going to go to a part that I do understand to glean something from it. Don't feel any shame in doing that. Uh, but the prophets are given to us. And so I do believe we need to understand when we read those books what they are meant to do. They're meant to really show us God is in control. And the answer to all this chaos is not human government. It's God, okay? That's really what the prophets are about. Number four, okay? And I'm gonna try to just fly through the last ones right here. Number four is this, Jesus. That's what I call number four. The fourth part of scripture, Jesus. Matthew through the book of Acts. These are five books of historical narratives. Now, some would break this down to the gospels, just those four books, and then make Acts its own whole thing with the early church. But in this portion of the Bible, God has now visited the earth, okay? They rejected him as a theocracy and, and found out the kings didn't work, and then they came back to be a nation. And at the end of Malachi, they're just waiting for Messiah. 400 years of silence. They're just waiting for Messiah. And they think all along that it's going to be a geopolitical Messiah, that one who would come and overthrow government and establish a kingdom. But the Gospels and Acts, they, it chronicles for us what Jesus' true purpose was his first time on earth. It tells us that he was born in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth in the region of Galilee. His baptism took place in the Jordan outside of Jerusalem. And then he went to the wilderness and then cleansed the temple in Jerusalem and then uh, had a home base or a ministry base in Capernaum up in Galilee. And, uh, and all of it converges in a storm on Jerusalem. Okay, all of, if you read all of the gospel accounts and, and it, it just converges in this storm where there's this tension between Rome and Israel. 
And there's this tension between the religious leaders and the people. The people are like, the religious leaders are oppressing us. And then the religious leaders are like, don't tell us that Rome is oppressing us. And, you know, there's all this tension taking place. Uh, And then Jesus is kind of emerging as his own storm uh, in, in this whole. And it all converges at the perfect moment for the Jews to want to kill Jesus, for the Romans to be willing to do so, and the followers that didn't truly understand Jesus to turn on him. All of it converges in that. And so he's crucified, buried, but thank the Lord we know he did not stay dead. He rose again and ascended into heaven. We see that 400 years after the last book of the Old Testament, human history is transformed with the emergence of Jesus as the Messiah. The four gospels tell the story of Jesus both as personal history and as expressions of faith. They are gospel. They are good news. And Luke continues the story by telling dramatic events and the mission of Jesus's representatives in the Acts of the Apostles, as you read the book of Acts. And the promise made to Abraham 2,000 years earlier that through his family, all the nations of the earth would be blessed is dramatically revealed for the first time as the message of Jesus uh, spreads throughout, uh, throughout empires and continents. The book of Acts, man, those missionary journeys, the gospel just goes... This is the revelation from God of where salvation came from. Jesus, it goes everywhere. That's the book of Acts, okay? Then we get to number five, the letters of Paul. The letters of Paul, okay? The letters of Paul is Romans through Philemon. Romans through Philemon. Some would break this down into the letters to the churches and letters to leaders of churches. But Romans through Philemon, we, we know are written by Paul. The letters to the churches would be Romans through 2 Thessalonians. The letters to specific leaders of churches would be 1 Timothy through Philemon. It's 13 books, and there are applications in this portion for the church as a whole and as any individuals. And many of these books are written in a way that says this. Here's what the gospel is and the internal implications of that, and then it turns to show how the gospel will look as you live it out. I think of the book of Romans, chapter 1 through 11, that's all doctrine of the gospel, okay? Then chapter 12 on is like, this is how it's gonna look in your life. Ephesians does the same thing, that by grace are you saved through faith. Here's the gospel, and then here's how it's gonna live out, speaking to yourselves in songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, uh, women uh, respecting their husbands, father, or fathers, you know, husbands loving their wives, and all of that. It's going to be lived out in a specific way because of the gospel. That's really what a lot of these letters do. Number six, then, letters to believers, okay? So there's the letters of Paul. Some of them are written to churches. Some of them are written to uh, church leaders. And then number six, letters to believers. This is Hebrews through Jude. These are letters to scattered Christians. These are letters to all believers at large. Each of them is written by an individual to all believers in general. They're books of instruction, okay? They teach us church polity and, and personal Christian living from personal perspectives and specific emphasis, okay? That's, that's really what these uh, books tell us of how to live. And uh, Hebrews is all about, uh, here's how the law used to work. It's specifically to Hebrew believers. Here's how the law uh, was pointing to Jesus, okay? Really, the whole book of Hebrews could be summarized in this way. Jesus is better. 
Okay, that's really how the whole book could uh, be seen. Uh, but here's what was done. Here's how Jesus is better. Here's what we did with the priest. Jesus is a better high priest. Here's what we did with the blood. But Jesus' blood is so much better. Okay, that's what the book of Hebrews does. And each and every one of us shows us in some way, specific ways of how we interact with Jesus in Christian living, in the church. All of that is through these letters to believers. Okay, so Hebrews through the book of Jude. Hebrews, we don't, some people think, uh, you know, I, I think I know who wrote the book of Hebrews but it's okay to just leave it anonymous because God did, okay, so in the book. But Hebrews was written by someone, and then we specifically know James was written by James, the brother of Jesus. Uh, Jude was written by Jude, the brother of Jesus, and, and all of those. If you look through Scripture, most of the books are, the name of the book is who wrote the book. Most, not all, but most. Uh, that's a good way to tell who wrote it, okay? And then the last one, okay, the last one is this, Revelation. Revelation. Revelation is technically still a letter, okay, but it's a whole bear of its own. And so I put Revelation as its own thing. Uh, it is the revelation of all that is yet to come. The first few chapters are written specifically to churches of that era, and they profile church problems of today. Uh, but the rest of the book is really a, like a kaleidoscope of oracles and judgments and images that knock us out of the complacency that we're in because Revelation, revelation uh, is ultimately a book of comfort where we see that God will finally and permanently set things right and things will come first, full circle from the garden to, uh, back to paradise. Really, the whole Bible starts at creation okay, of, the, of the heavens and the earth and it ends with the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. Okay, That's really from cover to cover what it is, and in between all that is the story of redemption through Jesus. But uh, that, why is all of this important? This is where I want to close. Okay, Why is all of it important that we see what portions of Scripture we're in? Because when I drop into the book of Psalms and read Psalms, I need to realize I'm in poetry because I'm going to realize there's some metaphors here and, and things like that. I'm, I'm going to read it differently than what I'm going to read a story as. And so it's important to know that Acts, when I get into the book of Acts, I'm in his, historical accounts. I'm not reading poetry in the book of Acts. These are actual events that took place. Hebrews, I'm in doctrine, okay? I'm in a letter to learn doctrine about Jesus. I'm not learning history so much in the book of Hebrews. Uh, the reason it's important is because you got to know what class you're going to, if I could say it that way. Or else, you'll end up in geometry class with a world history book. Okay? That's basically, if you come into uh, the, a book that's all poetic, expecting it to be prophetic, you're going to read it in some weird ways and apply it in some weird ways. Like, oh, this means this is going to happen in the future, but it's not prophetic. It's not prophesying anything. It's poetic, okay? If I'm reading history, it, it's not saying, again, for the most part, in those books of history, it's not saying this is going to take place in our future. Uh, it's saying this has already taken place. It's a historical account. And so it's important that we know these things as we go through the Bible. It is so very important that we know God's word. Why? Because this is how we grow. Okay? And so we need to know when we come to portions of Scripture, what portions of Scripture we're reading. I hope that in the next, uh, I hope next week we'll even break it down one more time to how, okay, we had last week, big picture, one story. This week, two testaments, portions of scripture. Next week, we're gonna say, okay, practical. And we're gonna have some back and forth discussion, I hope, of next week, now here's one story. How do we interpret it, okay? And that's why 
That's why we're doing it this way, so we can truly understand it when we come to our Bible reading each and every day. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.